to another edition of Rebellion Research's educational series. I'm so excited to have Andrea Himmel, a brilliant real estate executive with uh, Himmel Maringoff, one of New York's largest corporate and industrial warehouse companies. And Andrea is going to tell us her view on real estate globally, nationally, in New York. Andrea, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Oh, my pleasure, my pleasure. So let's jump right into it. When will New York City recover, or will it never recover? Where do you see New York City five years out, ten years out? Sure. So let me give you a little background on us, just so you, you understand. Um, I run acquisitions at Himmel and Marengoff Properties. We um, own a couple million square feet of office buildings in Manhattan and warehouses in the boroughs of Manhattan, uh, or New York. Um, we um, are aggressively growing both our industrial holdings and our office portfolio as well. And um, so as far as where New York is today and where it's heading, I can speak most um, you know, uh, knowledgeably about office and industrial and a little bit of retail. So where we are today is in a major state of uncertainty and a lot of time, a lot of uh, deals and whether it's leasing or investment sales have frozen and we're starting to see a little bit more activities in the past like week to two weeks um, in loan sales and, and you know equity sales and then also on, on the leasing front so during COVID the leasing you know leasing story was to just renew on a short-term basis we um, we found that we had a lot of tenant requests for relief during COVID and that's perfectly normal, but our collections were basically quite high in line with all the REITs. Well, and, Andrea, speaking yeah. to your tenants, do you see uh, working from home as kind of a, a new paradigm or do you think this is more of a short term? Look, I think it's a new paradigm for sure. A lot of companies are making long-term decisions based on work from home. Um, I think what we have to remember is when offices open up again and people have fled the city and they have to start commuting, it's going to be a tough situation. Um, and also work from home is, is we, we believe that you need an office setting to sponsor and create and, and really engender creativity, entrepreneurship, ideas, and, um, and allow for upward mobility within companies. So I think you really do need physical space, but we're definitely going to see a lot of companies step back We've seen a lot of a lot of tenants put market uh, their properties on the market for sublease. Um, Have a lot of buildings gone up for sale as well. We've seen a couple of buildings start to get ready to transact. We focus more on off market acquisitions, um, just because the arbitrage is larger. But we, you know, on, on the, the broker deal sales, like yeah, there's there's a bit more activity and a lot on a lot very much so on the loan sales side. But the loan sales aren't really looking like they're at severe enough discounts yet to warrant interest. Uh, I see, I see. Uh, you know, we, we had a great guest speaker, Billion Research, from Apollo, the private equity firm, and his point was, you know, sure, a lot of share prices might be discounted right now, but the actual company is not for sale. And, you know, I guess that's the case with a lot of New York City real estate. You don't see uh, properties coming out at, you know, uh, desperate times. I mean, I remember in 2008, uh, certain properties, you know, were going for you know uh, very large discounts to where they had been just a year or two prior. 
and you don't see that yet. In fact, do you see a recovery happening right now or do you still see a stabilization or where do you see the chart right now? I wouldn't say there's a recovery underway. I think we still have yet to see a lot of the duress unfold, especially as, you know, unemployment benefits wane and, and our, you know, the weekly surplus of, of cash flow coming into um, Americans' wallets. Um, but I do think that there are certain industries that are emerging as winners in, in this crisis and post, well, post-pandemic. So you're going to see areas of growth that you wouldn't have seen otherwise. For example, life sciences, we have a building 525 West 57th Street. With, it's a 500,000 square foot building with 200,000 square feet of vacancy soon. We're positioning that for a life sciences tenant. Yeah. Partly because that's a growing industry. Or for another use, the government increased its needs for uh, for national warehousing by 700 million square feet, of which about almost a million will be needed in the New York area, just for storage of medical supplies, because this was too much of a scare to their supply chain. So you see industrial supply space as a, a good investment. You don't feel that maybe there's going to be a, a huge amount of vacancies coming on, because if we think back to 2008, the real estate recovery didn't take hold till summer 2012, which was a good four years after Lehman Brothers. So that being the case, one could see New York on a duress for you know three to four years. Would that sound fair and reasonable to you? It could take it could take a while to recover. I mean, you're going to see a lot of sublease space come to market. There's going to be a lot of tenants probably coming out of WeWork, depending on what happens with that company. Um, you know, they had nine million square feet of office space. Um, I think you're going to see, you know, there will be a lot of activity, I think, rising activity, um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, I've been hearing whispers that WeWork's not going to go broke because larger companies that want to downsize a little bit will be taking up WeWork space. Uh, yeah, that's the thesis for, for WeWork in a, you know, in a down economy, they get the the companies that need to shrink and then the up economy to get the startups and it, it, it seemed to work for them around the world in certain areas like in Argentina they withstood a major economic crisis and thrived during it proving out that kind of concept um, I think it is yet to be seen it's a great company we are their ninth largest landlord in uh, in New York and you know they just had a little bit of some some level of reckless execution and with previous management, and I think it'll get turned around. Yes, now we work with something that we've covered at Rebellion Research extensively. Uh, very interesting concept. We'll, we'll see what happens there. But getting back to New York, so you don't see discounts to loans that are severe, and you don't see cheap building. So the multiples aren't coming down yet, so it could take a while for sellers to really hit the bid. It's gonna, I mean, it really depends. I mean, the asset type that will, will get hit the hardest after retail is office. And I mean, after hotel and retail, it would be office because if you think about, you know, you have a building that had 5% vacancy normally and it goes up to 20% vacancy because you now have a lot of, um, you lost a lot of tenants during COVID. Well, by the way, we focus on older buildings and that's what most buildings are. So you may have to do lobbies and renovations and you know you may have building capital calls, plus now you have to lease up 20% of the building and the leasing costs are very expensive work. So 
it basically becomes too onerous at that moment. No, interesting fact I came across. In Hong Kong, the average building is only 20 to 25 years old because there's so little space, it's so valuable. They build new buildings so quickly. But uh, New York, you know, there's still uh, quite a bit of space. And so when you focus on old buildings, you buy them, you uh, spruce them up, and then... Yeah, so it's a value-add strategy. We're long-term owners. So we say we never sell, and most of our assets we've, we really haven't sold. Um, and we've owned since the 1970s. Um, but we, you know, we sell about one in five assets. And um, yeah, yeah, so... Oh, no, 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 not at all. Uh, so, you know, we, we see a, a thaw happening here. I mean, do you think a thaw will then see a, a drop in prices, 10, 20%? Do we, we need a drop in prices? You will see a drop in prices. I mean, there's no question, right? Because not only is it more expensive to own a building that's partly empty, and it'll be more expensive to lease it up when you have to pay your tenant improvement costs and your leasing commissions and all that. But your tax rate just went up because it's expected that New York City property taxes are going to go up with this as their budget is demanding such. Um, and uh, you're, you're going to see, you see rising costs otherwise. So it's a compressing margin situation. I've got to ask, has anything from Wharton uh, been applicable towards your day to day? I have to say, I don't remember what I learned as much as how to, how, how to think. I think they trained me how to be analytical and um, how to think about the world. And so I really think that, um, that yeah, the technical training was, was more valuable than the content itself. Yeah. And so how do we feel about the crime situation in New York? Obviously, there was a lot of uh, tension drawn to you know, what happened a month ago. You know, is this something that you know, you're worried about? Where do you see crime in the next six months? Crime is, it's, it's really quite scary right now in New York. Um, you know, I, I think that um, when New Yorkers like myself feel unsafe in, in the early and late hours of the day in their normal neighborhoods of, you know, of choice, it, you start really diminishing the economic value of the city. Oh yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. Growing up as a New Yorker in the 1980s, uh, we were accustomed to being mugged and you know, crime was something that we were comfortable with. At the same time, it's been fantastic to see the economy bloom. And now watching this recidivist action has just been so uh, depressing for me at least, but okay. I love New York. So it's, it's related to just this, this pandemic having put everyone sort of off the deep end a little bit. And, you know, people are, are struggling to deal with the emotions associated with COVID and just how trying this crisis has been on each of us. Yeah. So, so, I don't know. No, no, it definitely has. So, so in six months, let's say we get a vaccine and then, you know, brokerage activity picks up, leasing activity picks up in New York, you would then maybe see a significant downward pressure in prices maybe early in 2021 then? With yeah, I mean, I think once you have a vaccine, this is all an academic exercise. We haven't, the last time our finance, our asset values were hit by polio was never because there was a vaccine, right? So we're, we, we're anticipating that it'll be tough until then, right? For businesses to open up full time. If you look at our buildings now, there aren't that many occupants in them, even though everyone, you know, everyone's mostly open at this point. Yeah. Um, 
So I think it'll, until you have a vaccine, it's going to be very slow. Um, you know, Sam Bell used to say, stay alive till 95. You know, now I'd say, like, keep your shoes till 22, something. But um, it'll be tough. No, no, bide your time, you know, wait, wait and hold. No, that's good advice. Uh, definitely. You know, real estate uh, takes time to unfold. And, you know, as I mentioned to you, Four years after Lehman Brothers is what it took uh, last time around. So, you know, by that, uh, you know, we're looking at 2024 for New York. But what about the rest of the country? Do you see uh, places where you would feel more comfortable in the short term? Yeah, I mean, look, there's there's secondary markets like the Nashville, Austin yeah. kind of plays um, that are major beneficiaries of the work from home trend because people want to migrate to where there's a higher quality of life. Exactly. Tale of two economies. And, so. and yeah, so I, I think, you know, I'd, I'd be interested in looking at situations and, you know, assets there. I, I still love industrial. I think it's a fantastic asset type. And I would look at industrial and metro areas too. Like will, other will, you, will you travel to Nashville in the next six months and look at industrial uh, spaces? Yeah, for I absolutely would. I'd probably. But will you fly or will you drive? I would probably, I don't know. It depends. Maybe I'd drive. If I flew, I'd have to, I mean, I'd, I'd drive. Yeah, I don't want to fly. No, no, I'm just, uh, no. But I've been, I've been touring properties. I'm back. I love it. It's, I missed it so much. I mean, I do it with caution, with gloves and mask and all that, but. Do you feel a sense of urgency in the marketplace yet, or you just don't feel that? There's a sense of urgency in, look, everyone has a better cap structure this cycle than last. It was, we were just more indebted as a, or leveraged as an asset class last cycle. Um, so I think the urgency and the distress is less immediate. Um, I'm, you know, young and hungry, so I always have a sense of urgency, but, you know, we're working on some deals that take time and fostering the relationships and, you know, just patience and sort of nurturing, so to make sure. So you think hotels will be the one area that you would be most negative on? Would you consider a hotel at this point or would it have to be set a discount evaluation that? It has to be a great discount, but there are hotels in the city that are amazingly well-located assets that if I could convert them to commercial, if I had the right basis, I would. I mean, just fantastic locations and like good enough floor plates. Uh, it, it costs money, you need the right basis, it's not cheap. So do you think this is a good time for young aspiring real estate entrepreneurs or do you think they should? Yeah, I think it's a great time. I think, you know, crisis breeds innovation and some of the greatest companies that exist in our, in our, on our, on our earth were, were born out of distress. So going back to the early 1900s, America's greatest companies. So you know, I, I think it's going to be a, a historic time to have, been a learning, uh, you know, student of this era. No, no. You live in interesting times, and these certainly are, and I think we'll all learn a lot from them. And, you know, as a, an academic and a teacher, I have been researching the heck out of COVID's effect on everything you could imagine. But, you know, real estate's a very intricate, uh, you know, you've got motels, hotels. Is there a specific part of real estate that you would eschew? going forward, one that makes you nervous and that you just wouldn't want to touch no matter what? Or is there nothing really that kind of scares you like that? Look, I think multifamily 
got hit really hard last year by regu the regulatory climate. And people with portfolios that were, you know, valuable saw their 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 AUM go down 30 to 40 percent just because of the rules in place that um, really just diminished the, the ability to have, you know, mark to market opportunities in portfolios and to compensate owners of affordable housing for capital invested in the infrastructure, which is a very important concept. So I think that asset class, until there's more certainty, you know, will We'll stay away from. Although I am a very um, strong advocate of affordable housing. Um, so. No, no. It's one thing to be, you know, ethically for something, and another to be an economist and say that, you know, due to, you know, uh, pending job losses, I'm nervous of multifamily because a lot of paychecks that weren't there and government checks that aren't going to be there will translate into lost rent, and so I don't want to, you know, be in that area. But on the upside, we have a big pipeline of deals in the industrial space. So we're really excited about how we can grow Amazon-esque deals or, or, you know, let's talk, about the, let's talk about the industrial space. So is this Amazon-esque or? Amazon-esque. So. so what you're thinking is, the, the thesis is that on the supply side, we've only seen a, a diminution in the number of industrial buildings and sites in New York City. So in the early 2000s, Mayor Bloomberg rezoned 200 square blocks, there are only 20,000, from industrial to residential or another use. Mm -hmm. And so that took out a lot of supply over time. So you may have friends who live in like a loft building on the water in Brooklyn, like that was a warehouse. So the supply is going down, demand is rising because retailers, forced by Amazon, need to get to their deliveries to their customers sooner and sooner. So Amazon is all about the you know, next day, same day situation. So if you're Crate and Barrel or you're Walmart or you're um, CVS, you need to make sure you can be competitive and deliver within the, same, within the same day or next day. In order to do that, you want your warehouse and your supply chain to be located near customers, like near the Manhattan, Brooklyn submarkets. Um, so between, you know, it's, a, it's just a supply demand imbalance and it's simple like Econ 101 to think that there's gonna be there for upward pressure on, on rental rates. Um, we like it also because you, there's, there's still a subset of owners in the space that are mom and pop, usually owner occupants, who run businesses that sometimes are, you know, they kind of um, are realizing maybe worth less than the real estate. And so we have a big pipeline of deals among that owner set um, because we'd rather buy from them than, you know, a sophisticated real estate developer. Um, so we target those folks and we'll do anything from a ground lease to a JV to um, just a straight up acquisition. But, I think that's where the opportunity will definitely be. Well, jumping to the left field part of supply, I'm curious where you stand on urban uh, agrarian economy, the idea of vertical farming in sure. cheaper uh, warehouses that are within a 45 minute drive of a major metropolis. And so you have the ability to you know, create this farm to table supply year round uh, you know, through aquaponics uh, quite often. And, you know, it's also a nice way to utilize often uh, cheap space. Is this something you've looked at, you've looked into, or do you have any comment? 
Yeah, so we toured, I toured a property, I exactly the address, but in Jamaica, Queens, it's a warehouse. And on the top floor, instead of getting no rent, they, they are getting a very little base rent from um, one of these urban farm companies. So literally, like, you can go to Whole Foods, buy their, you know, their lettuce, and it was grown on top of that roof in Jamaica. So I've seen it. It's real. It's happening. Uh, New Lab in Brooklyn is also really um, innovative and funds a lot of these sort of uh, urban farming efforts. I think it's, it's real. It'll happen. Um, you know, the economics just have to work out to the... Andrea, there are professors who've been talking to me about the idea that, you know, with these hyper-progressive mayors, there will be new zoning laws put in place that will allow for upward mobility if it is a farm. And, and you're committing that airspace to, you know, an, an agrarian uh, use, so. Yeah, I mean, I think what you find is it's typically hard to like match the developer with the tenants before the deal. If, you know, you wanna achieve the total maximum floor to area ratio that you've been allocated based on zoning code. But um, it's great. I mean, usually you see like um, community facilities that like, give you you know, sometimes double the square footage. If you're allotted X, you can get two X if you have a community facility or, you know, a school, a charter school, whatever it is. Oh. So um, that's interesting. Yeah, definitely. And uh, so th thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, you, before yeah. we finish, yeah. I'd love to get some parting words from you. Uh, you know, how do you feel about really, you know, everything in general right now with the, the world? Well, I think it would be remiss of me not to say anything about what's going on in the world and just the gross iniquities that have emerged that are really baked into our institutions at large. It's funny you mention that, Andrea. I'll say that actually one of the projects that I'm doing with a number of my students is focusing on how COVID is greatly exacerbating the wealth gap. And it's 100% it's, it's true. And one area that I think it's made really egregiously obvious is the home. So work from home makes this grand assumption that we all have homes and that we have safe spaces in our homes. Wonderful point. Yeah. So it just highlights how um, unjust housing can be and also how important housing is in creating wealth and long-term um, you know, value for families. So. On this note, I, I'm, I'm proud to say that I've joined the board of directors of Habitat for Humanity, which focuses on the preservation and development of affordable housing in New York City for families in need and, and, and does it alongside those families. No, I mean, can America afford to create housing for everyone? Why not, one says. You know, Sweden has done it. Um, it's an expensive you know, reach, but you know, maybe as technology unfolds, we'll come up with more and more efficient ways. But uh, I think um, if we can technologize construction and get costs down, because you can standardize, you know, building an office building to a, a science, um, the components should. It's the construction industry is one that's really obsolete in terms of its development and automation. Yes, it is. Uh, so I think there are ways to reimagine real estate in the future. Uh, the construction industry has barely been touched by automation. You know, at Rebellion, we've uh, covered that greatly. It's, you know, just they've really just touched the surface there. So, you know, this was fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on, Andrea. I enjoyed it.
And I uh, know you're a, a really a great source and I hope you stay safe in this time and uh, be well.